0: Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Today we're going to continue in Romans 13 as we learn how loving our neighbor actually fulfills the law, the commands of God. But I have to say that uh, much of what I have to share with you today um, will be rudimentary. It will be basic Christianity. It might not uh, seem that way to you, but this is, uh, in lar- large in part, this is foundational ideas. These are foundational ideas to our Christian faith. So, Without further ado, Romans chapter 13, starting at verse 8, and we're going to go to the end of the chapter this morning. Here's, here's what the Word of God says. O nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Do this knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light." Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to to its lust. Last week, I shared with you a quote that uh, is attributed to Ravi Zacharias. I still, I still can't find the exact place in which he said this, but the quote, nonetheless, is a very fun quote, very powerful quote. And it says that the reason why we have 17,000 pages in our law book is because we cannot follow 10 lines on a tablet made of stone. The reason we have 17,000 laws in our law book is because we can't follow 10 rules or 10 lines on a tablet made of stone. But if you remember from last week's message, I added, uh, I added uh, an important caveat to that statement, and that is uh, that we don't even follow those 17,000 laws. And the reason why we can't follow the 17,000 laws or the 10 laws on a stone tablet is because we do not know how to love. We do not understand what it means to love God's way. Uh, Romans 13, 8-14 uh, teaches us that, that love void of hypocrisy is, is the fulfillment of God's law. It's, it's what we're supposed to do inside of this life. But we struggle with this. So here, here's the solution to it. The solution to it is that if we learn, if we understand, if we are able to love the way God loves not only will we fulfill the 17,000 laws in our law books because we are motivated by the Spirit of God, but we will also honor the commands of God. We will be submitted to the commands of God because in doing so, we will actually understand that we're being like our Creator. God is love, amen? Amen. God is love, and we are supposed to be his people, and if we are his people, we walk in love, and if we walk in love, we actually fulfill the laws and the commands of God. What a powerful idea. But I would be, I would be terribly uh, uh, terribly remiss. I would be a very bad pastor or a poor pastor at the best uh, uh, best situation if I did not tell you that our, uh, our call to love is not something that we can just work up in ourselves. Do you know this, church? The reason why we can't fulfill 10 laws on a stone tablet, or 17,000 laws in our law book, or loving of our neighbor, the reason why we can't do this is because we are sinful, broken people who are in need of regeneration. We are in need of new life. If I don't share this with you, if I don't tell you this, what you'll be led to believe is the exact same message that every church in the culture preaches today. And that is some form of a a moralistic, therapeutic, as they say, deistic concept. What do I mean by moralistic, therapeutic deism? What I mean there is that we will preach moralism, we will preach, I would preach to you uh, the good way to live. How many of you know you can't do it without Jesus? Well, if you didn't know this, you need to hear the gospel. You can't do it without Jesus. So it's moralism. It's therapy because what we do is we come into church and the pastor gets up and he says, here's the deal and if you'll just follow these simple principles, it'll go well with you in this life. And so there's some sort of therapy in trying and trying and trying to do the will of God in our own effort. How many of you know that's not therapeutic? That's downright depressing. Anybody who's tried and tried and tried and tried and tried to do it God's way without God's spirit, without God's help, realizes that's not therapy. Or or if it is, it's bad therapy. Okay, So you've got moralism, you've got therapeutic, and then you've got this deistic concept which simply says, I guess God just doesn't care about me, that he's not a part of my life. Now, to say something to this, it's really important that the idea that God would walk with you on the sandy beaches of your life is a strange idea, it's a hallmark notion, I don't know, show of hands here, how many have walked on a beach with Jesus? One, two, three, awesome, awesome, four, that's really great. I've never walked on a beach with Jesus, but I have never gone in my life since knowing him. I've never gone a day without walking with him. It just doesn't look like what the cards tell us it looks like. It just doesn't look like what some of the preachers tell us it looks like. It's not just sitting there walking hand in hand with our Savior and laughing. Oh, Jesus, that was a good joke. It's, it's, not, it's not always that. Some days it is walking with Jesus as you are sitting in the midst of a fiery furnace and all you know is that he is with you. All you know is that he is with you. It would be awesome if he'd pick me up and take me straight out of it. Amen? Amen. But sometimes all you know is that God is with you. So to walk with God is important. Uh, the deistic concept, the importance here, is that God is very... He has not checked out in our life, church. He is very present. His presence, though, is felt in very unique and different ways. His presence is felt through His Spirit, which abides with us. His presence is felt through the person that's sitting to your right or to your left. Because God uses people, amen? Amen. God is working through people for us inside of our life. I'm grateful for that. Otherwise, not only would I I say that I've never felt like Jesus was walking with me on the beach, but I'd also say I never feel like Jesus walks with me, period. But I know that he does, and oftentimes that comes at the comfort of those to my right and to my left, which happens to be all y'all. So that's a, that's a beautiful thing, okay? So if I, if I told you that all we needed to do was now, instead of Ten Commandments or 17,000 laws in our law book, all we really need to do is just try to work at loving people, I would be failing as a pastor. The message is this. Unless you surrender to Jesus, unless you are born again, and unless his spirit indwells you, even love will be beyond your reach, Amen? Amen. Even love is beyond your reach. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 24 says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed, and that all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. What comes? What does the law bring? The knowledge of sin. Important line there. Let's keep going. Verse 21 through 24. But now, apart from the law... Setting that aside, we're not setting its principles or its ideas aside. I'll communicate that in just a second. But setting that aside uh, from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Raise your hands if you're a part of all there. Yep. Verse twenty-four. It uses the same all as the antecedent here, and it says because being justified, uh, which is in Christ, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. How many of you are a part of the all that have been justified? Yes. So what is amazing about this is that the law was never given to us so that it might bring us to life. The law cannot bring us to life. The 10 laws on a stone tablet, the 17,000 laws in our law book, or even if I were to wrongly impose on you a man-made law of learn how to love and you'll finally make God happy, all of that is not life. All of that is not life. Life is in the spirit of God that has come inside of you when you have confessed him as Lord and the, the love that he, that he produces in you towards others. This is where life is rooted. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. We'll do near the exact same verses, but Galatians chapter 3 starting at verse 19 again, and this time we'll just go to 22. These are the words of God from Paul to the church in Galatia. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions. Having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. What was the purpose of the law? A mediator until Jesus Verse 20, now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if the law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But you can't get there through law. Amen? Verse 22, but the scripture And this is such a great line. The scripture has shut up everyone. Show of hands, how many of you fall under the everyone category? Everyone, the scripture has shut up under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now this is what is so important about this. The law was not given to give us life. Ten commandments, 17,000 laws, or even some notion of you just need to learn how to love better and you'll finally fulfill all the laws of God. No, 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 no. You will only love and therefore fulfill the law of God if the Spirit of God is in you. If, you, if your life is crucified with Christ. Amen? This is so important. Otherwise, we're back to the same message that many in the church preach today. I shared with a friend not too long ago that when it comes to uh, larger churches, and I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not picking on them because numbers don't equate to apostasy in some way, but, but um, in large churches, what I find happens and see if you track with me, see if you agree with me. If not, just consider what I'm saying. In large churches, what I see happening is that uh, the same principle that happens when we watch a secular movie, and that secular movie seems to have spiritual principles, how many of you have ever watched The Matrix and thought, wow, that seems like super spiritual or something like this? It's not. But anyway, So, but you've watched these movies or you've watched a ton of movies and you're going, wow, I see the storyline of God inside of this. In a lot of large churches, what I see happening is people go in and they hear a message that happens to be moralism, therapy, And you're living your own life until Jesus returns. He's not really around or helping you in anything. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. You go to a church, you hear all this stuff, and here's what the Christian hears when they go there. The Christian goes, wow, I heard the gospel today. Why? For the same reason you hear the gospel when you watch The Matrix. For the same reason you hear the gospel when you watch a Hallmark movie. Listen, I know y'all, y'all are a part of Hallmark movies, so don't even, don't even shy away from that. And I'm talking to you men, too. Todd's back there. No, Todd's like, nope, not happening. But here, here's my point. Here's my point. What happens in large churches is you go in and you hear this, and you go, yeah, my church preaches the gospel. You know what the gauge of whether or not your church preaching the gospel is? Whether or not the lost feel conviction. Whether or not you feel a need to repent of your sins. Otherwise, the sad part is, it's the same thing for when you go and sit down and watch a movie and you go, wow, I feel Jesus here. Of course you do. Of course you do. You're a Christian. You see Jesus in everything. He's in the clouds or in your toast. I don't know, but you see him. You see him everywhere. But the reality is, the reality is, God is clearly either in our hearts or he is foreign to us. So consider that as you, as you process through uh, these different things. But what I want you to see is that moralism won't save us. Even me telling you, guys, you need to learn how to love and therefore you'll fulfill the law of God. The truth is you will fulfill the law of God if you love, but you can only love if you're surrendered to the Savior who remakes you and reforms you. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 is the last thing that I want you to see, and I want to show you that it is impossible apart from him to accomplish these things. Romans chapter 6, 4 says this: therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father so we too might walk in newness of life. The only way we're able to walk in newness of life is by the power of the resurrection, by the power of the Spirit of God that dwells inside of the hearts of those who believe. So... uh, Without further ado, again, we are going to jump into verse 8 and I'll explain it piece by piece as we go through this. Paul says this about our love. He says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Who is Paul speaking to again, church? Christians. So it is no wonder he doesn't say, love them, but you can't unless you've surrendered to Jesus. He's not talking to non-believers. He's talking to Christians, which means this is implied in what he is saying. So he says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. He who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Uh, uh, this idea of owe nothing. Isn't it funny that Paul just said before this in verse 7, he says, uh, pay taxes to whom taxes due, custom, due come to custom is due, fear to whom fear is due, and honor to whom honor. And then he says, now owe nothing to anybody except for love. And you're going, which is it, Paul? Either I'm going to owe them honor and tax and love, or uh, tax and honor, or I'm going to owe them just love. The Bible never tells us, never gives us a concept of love that is void of action. There's no such thing. This is why the Bible also doesn't give a concept of faith that is void of action. Yes, the, uh, the scripture tells us in Romans that we are justified by faith. Ephesians tells us we are justified by grace through faith. And James tells us man is not justified by faith alone, but by the works of God. So what are we justified by? Faith that leads to action. Faith is never separated from action, neither is love separated from action. I just need you to uh, give me a little bit of participation here. How many of you husbands and wives would be 100% okay if all you ever received were the words, I love you, but no actions to back it up? Show me your hands. Yeah, nobody's raising their hand. Because I love you is cheap, isn't it? I love you is cheap. My grandfather didn't say I love you. My dad's dad didn't say I love you very much, very much at all. I actually remember maybe twice hearing the words, twice or three times hearing the words, and one of those was when he was dying. The reason why is because he was raised in a culture where that, that term, that phrase, I love you, was sacred. It was such an important term. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do this because it would be antithetical to who I am. I, I say I love you to my girls 50,000 times a day if I say it once. It's just, it's a part of my vocabulary. But uh, the idea of love is something that is very sacred. It's something that is very important. And to show love is what confirms your words. Amen? So when Paul says, honor to whom honor, tax to whom tax, and then says, Oh, nothing to anybody but love, He is communicating the actions of love. Now, how many of you ever thought you'd hear a pastor say, when you pay taxes, you're showing love? You didn't think that. But smile, because that's exactly what you're doing. And I know you're all thinking, well, then I don't want to love anybody right now. But the point is, when you do these things, it's an expression of our love. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, you remember the, the, the statement. It says that we are to be subject, hupotasso, all to all, one to another. This is, this is across the board. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands, men to women, women to men, servants to servants. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to hupotasso. However... That plays out in very different ways. For example, if you're a governing authority, then tax is to be rendered to those governing authorities because they are an instrument of God for wrath and for uh, praising those who do good. That's at least their supposed, supposed goal. They violate that just like we do. But the point that I'm getting at is we're supposed to submit one to another. How that plays out is very clearly defined in Scripture. So what is a wife to do? Scripture tells them, submit to your husband. What are, what are wives doing when they submit to their husbands? Number one, please don't miss it. They are loving. That's the important thing. I hear people t- talk all the time. They say, that's outdated, it's antiquated. Well, find me the scripture that tells me when I can throw that part out, okay? And just believe what you want to believe. But the, where I'm getting in this is that it is love. For those of you who sit here and say, I won't submit to anybody, Let me translate in Christianese for you. I refuse to love anybody. Think about that for a second. If God says submission is love, is honoring your husband is love, then that is love, and you must do that. Now, This is an important thing because here's what wives do. It's not just to show the rest of the world, look, those Christians, they're oppressive to their wives. That's not true because husbands, if you're oppressive to your wives, we can talk after church because that's not what we're supposed to be. The issue is that even in our practice, in our everyday life, we are communicating the gospel. Did you know this? Wives, when you submit to your husbands, you know what you're communicating. The church is love for her Savior. That's what Paul says. He says, when a wife is submissive to her husband, she is declaring how the church responds to the work of her Messiah, of her Savior. That is love. What a beautiful thing. Now, here's where it goes further than wives. Let's jump into where Christians need to to listen up. All Christians, men and women. We are all called to obey God. We're all called to obey God. To live void of that obedience and say, I'm saved by grace. I'll do whatever I want. Is for the bride of God to reject the groom. What is that? That is not biblical. What we're to do is, as a bride, as the church, we are to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is king. He is husband. He is good. Now, men, what are you called to do with upotasso? What are you supposed to do with your submission? Lay down your life. Guess what? When you refuse to lay down your life or the remote control for your wife, when you refuse to give everything you are to your wife, let me translate in Christianese what you're saying. I refuse to love you. Men, this is something we need to repent of a lot. We say the words, we walk out the door, lock the door, love you, and go about our business. When we come home, we don't die for anybody. We say, I love you with our mouths, but our hearts are far from what we're supposed to do. This is problematic. This is problematic, men. So we're supposed to love, we're supposed to lay down our lives. Guess what that communicates? The gospel. Husbands, when you lay down your life for your wife, you are displaying the sacrificial love of Jesus on a cross. As he lays down his life for you, as he honors you by forgiving you even though you do not deserve it. Wow, that's an amazing, amazing truth. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love one another. How is that fulfilling the law? Well, it, it's very clear that when we are doing the work of God, we are doing that which is right or that which is correct. So, verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except for, uh, to love one another. Here's how love is played out. Through action. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this... I love this when Paul says this. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And look at Paul's line here. And if there's any other commandment, do you think he was confused if there were more commandments? And if there's anything else. No, his point is, all of it is summed up in this. It is summed up in the saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Do you realize how hard it is to murder your neighbor when you love them? (laughs) It was a bit of a joke. But do you know how hard it is to, to go to these extremes when you won't? Uh, when you refuse to, to hate them, when you refuse to raise a hand against them? Do you realize how easy it is to fulfill the law of God by loving your wife when you, you don't view her as anything but beautiful and sacred according to the plan of God? When you view her the way God has told you to view her? It's an amazing thing. It's easy to love when the Spirit of God is compelling you and showing you these things. Now, One of the criticisms that I think people have is they say, well, why, Nathan, why didn't God just put that at the end of the Ten Commandments? Why why didn't God just give us the Ten Commandments and at the end, with this little addendum say, oh, by the way, it all is summed up in please start loving people. Have you ever wondered that question? Why doesn't he just do that? I mean, doesn't that fix it? The reason why that wouldn't fix it is because you can't love apart from regeneration. can, Can you do good things? Can you love those who love you? Of course you can. Do we know atheists and unbelievers who probably love to a better degree, at least in a human sense, than us? Of course we do. But can you love those who hate you? Pray for those who persecute you? Will you be willing to die on a cross without the Spirit of God in your life? Heck no. I can't do it. I can't do it. And God's word has told us that none of us can. So everybody has been shut up under sin because the law came. And even if God would have put on there, oh, by the way, it's all summed up if you'll just love each other, we would have still all been shut up under sin. Because we would have come to the cross and God would have said, you say you love, but you never do it. You say you love, but you never do it. Can I just have a moment of honesty here? How many of you know that this is true of you? That you say you love, but boy you struggle with showing it. You say you love, but you struggle with showing it. We are uh, we are the very people that God is writing this to, and therefore we are the people who need to come back to the Father and say, "Lord, I repent." I, have done, I, I can't seem to get this right. I miss this all the time. Amen, Jerry? I miss this all the time. But you, but your power can help me to overcome. Amen? So we're supposed to do this, and, and we will get it if we, uh, if we submit, if we're surrendered to God. So verse 11 goes on. It says this. Do this. Do what? Love your neighbor. Love, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. That term, "now salvation is nearer," um, it, it it actually can be translated and probably should be translated, uh, for now our salvation, that which we already have because we do possess our salvation, now our salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. How many of you know that the Bible talks about salvation in three tenses? It talks about uh, being saved as a past tense thing. It talks about uh, being saved as in a present perfect tense, and it talks about being saved as in a future thing, something that is going to happen. We possess it the, the, the day that we uh, accept Jesus. The, the, the thing Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago meets our ears through the gospel, and we respond to it. Amen? We respond to that gospel. When we respond to that gospel, we say, yes, Lord. We say, I'm, I'm yours. I'm I surrender, and every day from that point till the return of Jesus or till we go home to be with the Lord, we live expecting our salvation, the future tense of our salvation. We're looking forward to it. What is the motivator for us to love and therefore fulfill the law? Because the days are short. The days are drawing near where our salvation today is closer to us than it was before. People ask me questions about uh, eschatology. They ask me questions about the end times. What, what's my view on that? And, and I really have a very simple uh, and probably not fulfilling view to many of you. And my simple view is this. All I know is that we're one day closer than we were yesterday. <laughs> I, I really, I, I've wrestled with it. I've tried to see how I, where I fall on end times things. But what I do know is that we are closer today than we were yesterday. And in light of that, the apostle Paul says, love, love. Again, verse 11, do this, love, why, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Verse 12, follow with me, and we'll wrap it up. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. The thing that I want you to, to see as we round out here is the reason why we can't keep ten, uh, the, the The reason why we can't keep 17,000 laws in our law books is because we can't keep 10 laws on a stone tablet. The reason we can't keep 10 laws on a stone tablet is because we don't know how to love because love is the fulfillment of those things. The reason why we do not or once did not understand how to love is because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Salvation has brought us to life. It has given us a new being. We are new. Amen? Please track with me. We are new. Because we are new, the timeline is reversed. Because we are new, we can love. Because we love, we can fulfill the 10 laws on that stone tablet. We can trust God. We can rest in him. We can not hate people and murder them and all of those things. And when we do that, and here's where it really comes home for us as Americans, When we are able to fulfill those 10 laws on a stone tablet due to love, we can also and we must also submit to the 17,000 laws of our culture because love is not void of action. Love is not void of action. Do you notice at the end of this great chapter, chapter 13, Paul does not say, do this, love and fulfill the law full stop, move on to the next point. No. He says, do this, love, and therefore fulfill the law. Oh, but by the way, time is short, so here's what you ought to do. Don't be a person carousing. Don't be a person who's wallowing in drunkenness. Well, Paul, I'm saved by grace. You let me do what I want to do. No. Love is not actionless. Faith is not actionless. So the apostle Paul goes on and he says he says let us behave properly as in the day not in carousing not in drunkenness look at this this is this is for the culture today not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality not in strife and jealousy I just want to take a second to kind of poke the beehive a little bit so so hear me out okay hear me out this message is to Christians At this point, I don't care what the world's doing. I mean, I care because I want them to know Jesus. But I care what you're doing, and I have every right to care what you are doing. And because I care about what you're doing, please hear what I'm about to say christians because we are made new are to walk as day walkers we are to be the people that god has called us to be right we are not a people carousing fighting uh, brawling we are not drunkards if this is who you are and you profess jesus your actions are not lining up with your words And Isaiah has a problem with this, and Jesus has a problem with this. With your lips you praise me, but your heart is where? Far from me. Christians are called to faith with action, love with action. So he goes on from carousing and drunkenness. He says, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. Guys, pornography is a big deal. How many of you know that? How many of you have been crawling under a rock for a while? Pornography is a big deal. Pornography is not just a man's issue anymore. It is a woman's issue now. And it is a profoundly disturbing woman's issue. And there is an idea inside of the world, and I've heard Christians. It's all that I can say is they they profess Christ. I've heard Christians talk about the benefits of these kinds of things to help them with their intimacy. You have believed a lie from hell. You will find true intimacy when you have eyes only for your wife, husbands. You will find true intimacy when you have a heart only for your husbands, wives. You will find true intimacy when you grow in contentment with one another, knowing that even uh, sexual frustration, I know there's kids in the room, but you just have to deal with me. Uh, I know that in with regard to sexual frustration, God is sanctifying you. How many of you know that God actually looks at you and says, Nathan, he doesn't call you Nathan, but he looks at you and says, it says, I'm allowed to tell you no, and it's for your good. How many of you know that? This crazy culture we live in says, I just get to do whatever I want because that's true freedom, not true freedom. That's literal bondage and captivity. You are captive to something that you ought not to be captive to. There's some in this room that might look at it and, again, protest and say, but, Nathan, we're saved by grace through faith, and you're talking and sounding like you're promoting a works-based faith. And my response to you is, read the real Bible. There is no separation between faith and works in your life. Faith produces works. Get the order right, but there is no such thing as faith void of works, just as there's no such thing as love free from your action. Please hear me, church. Please hear me. We're supposed to walk as people of the day, amen? Amen. And in doing that, we say no to drunkenness. We say no to carousing. We say no to sexual promiscuity. We say no to sensuality. And here's the big one for Christians. We say no to strife. We say no to strife, and we say no to jealousy. Whoops. Whoops. We look at it and go, I don't murder anybody, so I got this. Well, good for you. I'm Good for me, actually, that you don't murder people. But the, but the, the weird thing here is that we look at the worst sins. That's good for me. Barney, you can leave now. Anyway, go out knowing I love you. Anyway, so, but here's the deal, right? It says, it says no strife and no jealousy. No strife and no jealousy. All the church ever seems to do anymore is argue. Why? Why are we arguing? Well, Nathan, it's because we should throw out all rules and regulations and live by grace. No, 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 no. (laughs) No. We should hold people to doctrinal absolutes and truths. We should call out false teachers. The Bible tells us to do it. Church, just so you know, no matter what, you, you should not listen to just every preacher and teacher that's out there. There's a lot of junk that you're hearing. And you look at it and go, yeah, but we're a people of grace. We're a people of grace. No, you're a person that's being duped. There's a lot of junk out there. So should we call these things out? Yes, we should call these things out. But the, world, the church world is living in strife when we ought not to live in strife. We argue over things that we don't fully understand. Expressions of worship. Expressions of how to preach and teach. I can't tell you how many pastors and teachers argue over whether or not you should do a sermon-based series or whether you should preach exegetically and and through the scriptures verse by verse. And they literally will hate each other if you don't agree uh, with their side of it. And you're going, what's wrong with you? And every time that conversation comes up, I simply say, my heart and my mind have found peace in walking through things verse by verse, but Paul deals with subjects. He looks at it and says, let's talk about idolatry right now. And he goes and he talks about that subject. And then he moves to another subject based on the town he's in. I don't think either of them is the real problem. I think the problem is uh, lack of biblical fidelity. What does the Bible actually say? That's the problem. We just make all kinds of junk up. I don't care how you preach. I don't care how the preacher preaches, as long as he's preaching the word of God. That's what we're called to see and experience. But there's strife over this. And then jealousy. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. You know what overcomes jealousy? Not you getting more stuff. I heard a report the other day that said they did a tally based on a survey to find out how much money it would take annually for people to be happy. You know what the tally was? $95,000 a year just to be happy. I would too. <laughs> i take $95,000 a year, but it's not going to make me happy. Why? Because I can find something that gets under my skin, something that I wish that I had, that somebody else had. What makes us not be jealous of one another is, number one, love. Actually loving one another. And what does love teach us? Contentment. Do you know that your lack might be teaching you patience and love and kindness. God might be in your lack teaching you that you're a greedy goofball. (laughs) Well, God would never convict me of any sin. Yes, he will. You just don't listen. He's convicting us all the time. That's what the spirit is here for, to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. It's what he's doing in us. So contentment, that's the answer. Love is the answer. Verse 14, here's how he wraps up. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Everything that he listed is a lust of the flesh and a pride of life. Those things are to be done away with. And what we're supposed to do is live as people in the light. We're supposed to live as people of love. And if it's biblical love that is powered by the spirit of God that is within us, it will absolutely change every relationship we have. It will cause our faith to have works. It will cause our words, I love you, to have action that back them up. Amen. This is really, really important. So over the past four or five weeks now, we've been talking about love void of hypocrisy. Love void of hypocrisy. That love that is void of hypocrisy comes only one way. Through the saving power of Jesus Christ and through the spirit that indwells us. If you have lived your life trying to be a moralistic person, if you listen to messages that just give you therapy and tell you how to, how to uh, avoid negative people, by the way, you can't. Are you on Facebook? You're around negative people, okay? You can't do this. What you ought to do is learn, is surrender to Jesus and learn how to love the way he's called you to love. If you've been participating in moralism, it won't give you any answers. If it's just pastoral therapy, it won't give you any answers, If you're just crossing your fingers and hoping Jesus comes back and your name's on his list, you don't believe in him anyway. The answer is surrender. The answer is die to yourself. The answer is lay down your life. Will you get it right day one? What? Will you get it right day one? No? I was hoping nobody said yes because we were going to have a session right now. You won't get it right day one but you are called to right living. Don't miss that. You don't just get to go, well, I'm saved by grace, kick up my heels, figure it out. No, no. Walk as people of the day. That's what we're called to. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.